As has uh, already been said this morning, if you're visiting here, I really am so glad that you are here. I really hope that you have been made to feel welcome and that you've been able to relax and be yourself as we gather in this time. It can be weird visiting another church sometimes, can't it? It's a bit like being present for another family's special get-together, and you get to look on at what's happening, and it's impossible when that happens not to note how that family might do things a little differently to how you do, or perhaps very differently to how your own family uh, operate. Now, here's the thing. In that analogy, if the family in question were just doing normal life together, that would be one thing. But if they started having an intense, complicated, controversial, delicate discussion, and you were there as a surprise visitor into that context, you might feel a little uncomfortable in that scenario. All of which leads me to say, if you're visiting today, sorry if the following message makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, I want you to know uh, this sermon and the next two, uh, Scott next week and then myself in a couple of weeks, are quite unusual. We're starting a little mini-series. Tim, I wonder if you could flick over to the the laptop here at the front uh, called Sex and Gender. Uh, Thanks to Andrew Wilson for the lovely graphic that he put together for that. Um, So as you see that, (laughs) I'm sure all sorts of things are going to jump into your head, all sorts of questions, comments, worries perhaps. Uh, You pray for me and you as I have been praying for you and me all this week, right? That's, that's, I need that, you need that, we all need that in this time. Uh, In about a month, just to let you know where we're going, in about a month's time we're going to start a sermon series walking through John's gospel. We're just going to take a little passage every week and humbly but boldly and earnestly ask God to speak to us through those verses that are scheduled in for that week. I love that. I have to tell you, that's my favorite kind of preaching. Uh, and I'm excited to see what God will do in those months when we're, when we're tracking through John. And all that to say, just to underline that these next few weeks are going to be quite different. Uh, you know, one thing is, just to let you know up front, today's message is going to be a little bit longer than normal. You, you, you can't just brush over some of the things I'm going to touch on today. So I hope that's okay. Uh, and also just to say that a lot of this particular message will be background and info as to why we're even looking at this topic over these weeks. But I do, I am encouraged with the sense that God has led us to this point. We had a really wonderful conversation over this side of the church uh, a couple of months back or so at our church forum, and we discussed together as a church family whether this would be a good topic to consider. And there was a real broad sense of agreement that this would be something that would be worth uh, pursuing. So here, here's the thing. <laughs> this is always true, and I certainly feel it big time today, and I hope you do too. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. So thankful for the Holy Spirit who can, despite my stumbling efforts at speaking and our stumbling efforts at hearing, He can lead us and guide us and shape us within the love of God the Father, and under the rule and reign of King Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray to that end. Father, we thank you so much that you're here with us by your Spirit. 
And I thank you, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can assure us of your love, your care, your kindness, your affection, your desire to draw near to us. And I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us into truth and points us to Jesus and helps us live under the canopy of his rule and his reign. So Holy Spirit, we want to open our hearts to you now. Help each and every one of us to honor you with how we engage in this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. John Stott, quoting Karl Barth, there's a few different people attributed to this quote, but it seems that it was originally Karl Barth and then John Stott made it probably most famous. He, he, he remarked that pastors should preach with, quote, the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Now, he obviously didn't mean by that that those two things were equally important, but just that our lives as Christians need to find expression in the context that God has put us in, this specific time and place. And a newspaper is a helpful way to understand that context. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to find your way to 1 Peter chapter 2. The words are going to come on the screen, but I think they're going to be too small. Let's wait and see. Ah, it depends on your eyesight. <laughs> uh, so uh, listen to what we read in 1 Peter 2 from verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the, among the Gentiles honorable, so, within, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." Peter is here communicating that we, as Jesus' church, as God's family, we are a distinct people. And in that, we're called to live in a particular way, often different to the way that the world lives, that we find ourselves in. And as we travel through this journey, as we journey on in the story of God, we are despite being spoken against as evildoers, we are to live honorably so that God may be glorified. So, think of preaching. Can God be glorified as we preach the amazing first sections of John's gospel? Absolutely. We will proclaim the excellencies of the Word made flesh. It's going to be awesome. But also, so can God be glorified as we consider together what life in exile should look like. And part of that is considering the big issues of the day. You may not read many or any newspapers. I wonder, for some of us, I suspect you've maybe never held a newspaper in your hand, or it's been many months since that's been the case. But we all live with the Bible, I hope, <laughs> in one hand, and social media, perhaps, in the other or rolling news on TV, or our favorite sites, websites for news, 
or we come across advertising, or we have school curricula in the other hand, or we have what's presented to us in TV shows and movies, or the latest legal maneuverings of various political parties. So as we think about living as exiles in Scotland in 2022, seeking to both proclaim the excellencies of Jesus and also seeking to live with such honorable conduct that people would see and be led to give glory to God, we had better, in that context, have thought through the current questions of gender that are swirling around in our culture today. Now, please hear me. I'm going to try and not spew out too many caveats throughout the course of this message, but it's important just to share a few. I am very aware that three sermons are not in any way going to cover this topic, acknowledging that this is more than a topic and it's not something that is ever really covered We're not trying to tick a box here. What we're doing in these three weeks is seeking to acknowledge the importance of these matters and considering a very high level what God might say to us in the scriptures. So in light of that, I just want to bring a couple of requests to you. First of all is that you will need to take these three sermons together. There's so much that I'm not going to say today. Scott will pick up on some of that, and then hopefully at the end we'll pick up on some of the other bits and pieces. And then the other thing is I really do want to commend the book study to you. A lovely offer from Mike and Janet. Hook them up, and they will hook you up with a copy of this book. Uh, starting next Sunday night, we're going to take seven Sunday evenings for about an hour, maybe an hour and a quarter, from 8.15, and just discuss this book together. No one's going to particularly lead that time. We'll just get together in groups and share what we were encouraged by, what we were challenged by, what we didn't like, what we like, and all those sorts of things. And um, I, I just want to commend it to you. It's, it's a detailed book, but it's, it is very accessible. Uh, and I would encourage you to pick it up and read the preface in the first couple of chapters in time for next Sunday night. If you don't have time for the book or you don't have the inclination to read the book, there is a one-hour video of this gentleman, Preston Sprinkle, who, as I think Scott said at some point, he actually came to this church when he was doing his PhD in New Testament in Aberdeen uh, back in the turn of the millennium, really. Uh, And uh, there's a one-hour interview where he is interviewed about this book. And it's a brilliant summary of the issues that we're going to get into. Um, The link to that will go in the description of this video when it goes on YouTube. But if you're not going to track along with that or if you find it easier, I, I created a link. So if you go to Hillview dot cc slash Preston. It will take you to that YouTube interview. Hillview.cc slash Preston. And uh, it's a great introduction to some of these issues. And maybe, you know, watch it this afternoon and decide whether you want to dive deeper in with the book. Another important thing to say up front is that in addressing this topic, we're not at all suggesting that this is the most important or urgent issue that faces us as a church. To be honest, when we think about living faithfully for God as exiles in a foreign land, we should probably be way more concerned about issues like how we use our money 
issues of what are the idols in our lives, issues of consumption, what are we taking in to our bodies or through our eyes into our brains and our hearts. We should be probably more concerned about pornography and gossip and disregard for the poor and disregard for the nations. Those are probably more pressing needs for us as a church family just now. And it's important to say that. We just recognize that this is a complex and important topic in our day. And then the third thing I just want to caveat is just to acknowledge that you could approach this from so many different angles. So I'm just asking for grace for myself and for Scott. I can promise you that neither of us have approached this flippantly. And I also just want to acknowledge that there are godly people who land in very different places on many aspects of what we're going to talk about today. So I'm just encouraging all of us to come with that humility on how we react, if or more likely probably when uh, we come across something that doesn't land right. And of course, as always, you're so welcome. Ping me an email, martin.clark with an e uh, at hillview.cc or come and speak to me. If you've any concerns, worries, frustrations, uh, let me know. Uh, we'd be really glad to chat through those things. So with those uh, caveats, you know, get on with it, caveat boy. Here we go. Why are we doing this wee mini series? First thing is this, pastoral care. It is likely that there are some in our church family, and in that I include Hillview, Contour, people on the edges of those church families, and crucially importantly, our youth group. It's likely that there are some who are struggling with aspects of their gender identity in the rows around about you, in your small group, in the youth group, in the ministry where you serve, and we need to acknowledge that. And we need to open our hearts that we might minister to people who are in that place. If that's you here this morning, I want you to know how loved and valued you are. We pray, yes, by us here in the church. I pray that's true now. I pray that's increasingly true in the months and years ahead. But more importantly than that, you are infinitely loved by the Father God in heaven who knows you, knows what you are going through and loves you with a perfect love and to whom, as we read earlier in Revelation, to whom belongs all wisdom. And as God's people, we desire to be a help and a support to you if you are in that place, to anyone wrestling with these questions. I, I don't know how many in our church family might be struggling with these matters, but certainly there will be other people in our lives, in our families, walking through this issue. Friends, colleagues, family members who either are wrestling with these things themselves or who have friends who are considering these things. So in seeking to, con to, con to care well for one another, we're considering this for a few weeks. The second thing is this, why are we doing it? To help us think and speak well on this topic. Increasingly, a number of people were coming to me in the church saying, we need some help with this. We need to think this through. What does the Bible tell us about this? How am I to live with regard to this issue? And, and, and let me just give you some examples. There are so many ways in which questions around gender come at us in these days. Some examples here. All of these are real, and many of these are experienced by members of our church family. So examples, an employee 
given a deadline by which time they're required to include their preferred pronouns in their email signature. An employee cautioned by their boss for calling an elderly gentleman, sir, as they, spot, as they sought to respectfully engage with him. A parent realizing that their children consider them to be bigoted. A couple, one of whom is trans, come with a heart to join this church family. And after the initial warm and loving welcome, which by the way, I'm absolutely convinced they would receive. After that, the question of ongoing discipleship comes up, as it comes up for all of us. And the question is, what does that look like? What of baptism and church membership? What does submission to Christ and his word require? And how do we lovingly walk forward together in that? One of the youth, another example, comes asking one of the youth leaders for prayer because they don't want to feel the way that they do about themselves. The question is, is that youth leader going to be able to pray and to discuss this without breaking the law? Perhaps not, by the way, if the current proposed Scottish new legislation goes through, which is unbelievably wide in its scope and specifically makes reference to the type of prayer and preaching which is allowed and not allowed. Another example, what do we do with the reality of how TikTok is discipling so many of us and our kids on these matters? With popular posts like, for example, a teacher in the U.S., who says that what happens at birth is that parents guess a baby's gender, sometimes on the basis of their genitals, but if the parent guesses wrong, that's fine, quote, everyone makes mistakes, and those people whose parents guessed wrong are called transgender. That's just one example of hundreds and thousands of videos that are discipling our people week by week. Next question, how should we counsel a parent who's so concerned about what's being taught at school that they wonder if they need to remove their kids? How should we counsel the teacher who is increasingly uncomfortable with what's being asked of them? Last example, what are we to make of Christian leaders, some of whom we've read texts of theirs in this church, like the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, what do we make of him signing a letter that says, quote, to be trans is to enter a sacred journey of becoming whole, precious, honored, and loved by yourself, by others, and by God. We could go on and on with so many questions and realities coming up that never came up five or certainly 10 years ago. This is not easy. As someone said at our recent church forum, there are lots of examples where you can live your life with a Christian ethic and someone else will say to you, hey, that's fine. You know, you, know, you do you. That's fine for you. I'll go a different way. But this is not one of those issues. More and more with issues of gender and sexuality, it's not okay in the eyes of the world, for us to do us and them to do them. We need to engage carefully with where our culture is on these matters, living in grace and truth, showing love as Christ has loved us, living with, as it says in 1 Peter 2, honorable conduct, not just in theory, but that though people may speak of us as evildoers, 
They may, we pray, ultimately see our good deeds and give glory to God as a result. And then the final reason I want to mention why we're doing this is we need to consider what it looks like to show compassion, courage, and care. It's no use us just being better informed. We need to be challenged by God as we seek to love Him and to love our neighbors. We need to show compassion, that deep care and loving concern for those in our lives who are asking the deepest questions that they're wrestling with as to who they are and to how they might find peace. We need compassion. Our hearts need to be stirred for people in that scenario like Jesus had in Matthew 9 verse 36 where it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. It is not a stretch, I don't think, to assume that Jesus could say those exact same words over Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire. We need help to know compassion. We, we, we will need to show courage as well. Um, I want to just read with you the words I finished last week's sermon from in John chapter 15, verse 16. It says this, um, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And we were just celebrating the fact that, wow, God appoints his disciples for specific times and places to bear fruit in the, in the unfolding story of what God is doing in this cosmos. And what a wonderful reality. Listen to the very next words. If the world hates you, Jesus said, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We should not expect to align with everything that the broader culture in Scotland supports. And we should not be surprised and, some of us need to preach this truth to ourselves, we should not see it as a failure if we are hated mocked, even persecuted as we seek to follow Jesus, no matter how honorable our conduct is. Our king is the crucified and shamed and rejected Christ. Though blameless in sinlessness, beautiful in love and compassion, he was hated, rejected, considered as a madman. We need courage as that increasingly will be our reality. Courage to stay true to the way of Jesus. And finally, we need to know what it looks like to care for those working through these matters. Jesus wasn't just filled with compassion in some esoteric sense, but his compassion moved him towards those in their need. That compassion led him to bring deep and meaningful and lasting care to those who needed it, especially those who were marginalized, especially those who consider themselves outside of the bounds of God's love. So we want to spend these weeks praying that God will not just give us a heart of compassion, but a desire to move towards care.
And truthfully, you're going to need to dive into this book or other resources for the details of practically what does this look like. In the time remaining, friends, I want to just very briefly look at four massively important principles as to what the scriptures teach us on sex and gender. Next week, Scott is going to get into more detail on the different matters raised in our culture regarding these things. But we're just going to try and take a bit of a a whistle-stop tour through some aspects of the scriptures. First thing is this. God created humanity as male or female. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man or mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and so on. Here we have this staggering reality that all human beings are made in the image of God. And in that we are completely distinct from the rest of God's creation. And the very first reference to humanity in the Bible, immediately includes reference to male and female. Now, just so briefly, there are going to be a few (laughs) sidebars here in this message, by the way. I just want to very briefly mention that there are an extremely small number of people born for whom that distinction is not clear. Broadly known in these days as being intersex, this means having one or more of roughly 16 to 20 different medical conditions from birth. So for about 99% of intersex people, their biological sex is still clear. But that there are even some of God's children who are not able to easily understand if they're female or male is hugely important. And I love the way that Preston Sprinkle handles this so respectfully and carefully in his book. But back to Genesis With that caveat, back to Genesis chapter 1, we see that God creates humanity as male and female, and God blesses them, and then the important thing is this, God commissions them. I read it, right? God blessed them, and God said to them, verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, what seems hugely significant to me here is that at the very heart of how God commissions male and female to exist, the realities of their differently sexed bodies matters. Matters. Do you see that? Verse 28, be fruitful and multiply men and women and have dominion over the earth. Immediately, the reality of biological sex is crucial to that process. Now, Stepping back again, perhaps the most fundamental matter to be resolved in in these weeks is the relationship and the distinction between what we call sex and what we call gender. Now, for just over 50 years, these words have increasingly been understood differently. Before that, they were basically synonymous, 
Our sex uh, is referring to the different genetic, anatomical, and hormonal realities for men and for women. And in these days, gender, Preston Sprinkle uses the definition which he says is broadly accepted now across culture. He says that, that being, quote, the psychological, social, and cultural aspects of being male and female. Now, I know that there will be some of us in this room who might just be tempted to disengage right here. All of this is just cultural confusion, one might say. If you're going to say that this is all to do with a concept that didn't even exist a hundred years ago, why are we even considering these different terms? Listen to a quote from his book. Preston Sprinkle writes this. Now, some people flip out and bark. There are only two genders. And this is true if... By gender, they mean biological sex. But that's not the way the word gender is typically used today. When two people use one word in different ways, chaos ensues. And it's a little of an American example here, but we we all are able to translate. It's like the dad who told his son, go put the trunk in the trunk. So the son went out, hacked off an elephant's nose, and shoved it in the back of the car. But the dad simply wanted him to put the base of a tree in a box in the attic. If you learn one thing from this book, let it be this. When people use the term gender, make sure you ask them what they mean. And for me, this just brings us back to 1 Peter 2 and to loving our neighbor here. For us to know uh, the culture that we're living in, for us to live in this foreign land well, for us to know how to love our neighbors, preferring the needs of others over our own, we need to understand how language is being used. And Preston's book is is written to address what I think is the key question. This is the point of this book. If someone experiences incongruence between their biological sex and their gender, which one determines who they are and why? That's the question. And I just want to point out here in Genesis chapter 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2, that the biological sex God gives males and females is is not only noteworthy because God created us that way, but also because the biological sex of our bodies is absolutely fundamental to this first hugely significant command that God gives male and female as to part of what it means to live as human beings. In the world, we again see this in the next chapter in Genesis 2 in God's ordinance of marriage. Look at verse 24 of Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, again, clearly this involves the different biological sexes, but it also seems to me to touch on how we think about gender. If gender is the psychological, social, and cultural aspects of being male and female, how God ordained for cultures to be formed through the coming together of male and female and societal realities to develop, and in that how we think and feel and perceive in our own psychological realities, states, then all of this seems deeply interwoven to how God established men and women as differently sexed beings made in his image. So God created humanity as male and female. And what I'm trying to get at here is, I think that this is pointing to more than just biological sex, 
but that as we understand what gender is, immediately as God ordains how men and women are to live and take dominion over this world, that these two realities, sex and gender, should not be as far apart as they often are in this culture that we're in. The second thing is this, Jesus affirms and I think develops this reality. So in Matthew chapter 19, the religious leaders come uh, up to Jesus and they're trying to trick him, frankly, and they're asking him for a judgment on a cultural and religious question. Verse 3 of Matthew 19, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, what you need to note here is that you're about to see Jesus answering with reference to the way that God created them, male and female. And you might respond, what's creation got to do with this question? This is a legal question about a potential change to a present cultural and religious reality. What has creation and sex got to do with this? Well, a lot for Jesus, because listen to how he responds. Verse 3. He and, so is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. All that to say, there is not a hint here that in the thousands of years between Genesis 1 and 2 and Jesus coming on this earth, that any of God's created order has changed in how Jesus sees things. It's it's worth noting though, just again as a slight aside, Jesus does massively challenge gender norms and expectations in his day. He wasn't married He didn't have sex. He spent his time in the presence of many women affirming and caring for them. His message was not one of brash power and aggression, but gentleness and love. And all of that was super countercultural. And Jesus is a wonderful example for us in all of this. But in no way does that lead him to watering down the way that God established the world. In fact, he seems, in the way that he responds, taking this reality of creation and tying it so directly to this cultural, religious question, he seems to narrow the gap between the distinction of sex and gender. Now, just because we're in Matthew chapter 19, you might look ahead and see a passage uh, where Jesus, from verse 10, uh, is it verse 10 onwards? I've lost my place a little bit. Where are we? Yeah, 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 sorry. From verse 10 onwards, uh, Jesus speaks about different eunuchs. And this is a key little passage as we think about the issue of transgender. I'd just like to read a brilliant quote from a wonderful resource from, that the Evangelical Alliance have put out. I'll link to this on the YouTube site as well. Matthew, this is what it says. Quote, Matthew 19.12 talks about three different types of eunuchs. Those born that way, who we might call intersex. Those made that way, castrated. And those celibate for the kingdom. 
The wider context is, is a discussion about marriage in which Jesus reminds a questioner that we are made male and female in the image of God. The, passage, the passage is an example of Jesus upholding the divine pattern while making space in our thinking for people and situations which do not fit neatly into that pattern. I love that quote, and I commend the document PDF to you, which I'll link on YouTube. God created humanity as male and female. Jesus affirms and I think develops this. And then the next thing is that there are very few Bible passages which touch directly on the question of transgender. But any that do, do not allow for, as Preston Sprinkle puts it, cross-sex behavior. Now, the behavior point is key here. We're, we're going to get to this because this isn't about the degree to which we wrestle or struggle with certain things. It's about what we do. Our bodies and what we do with them really matter. And we're coming to that as we close. I've listed there a few of the key passages that Preston Sprinkle mentions. We're, we're not going to look at them as they're extremely complex and they would take hours to carefully consider. In the end notes of the book, he goes into a lot of detail wrestling uh, with why these passages matter in this discussion when, for example, we may not take other verses around about them uh, in the same way. Let me just read you this quote that Preston Sprinkle closes his section on this with. I hesitate even mentioning the above passages since people sometimes quote them thoughtlessly with no attention to their context or the various interpretive difficulties that surround them. I can't emphasize enough that we shouldn't assume each of these passages speaks directly or definitively to modern questions about transgender identities. And yet these passages do seem to agree with Genesis 1 to 2 that our sexed bodies are sacred. Whatever interpretive hurdles exist, they all, on some level and to varying degrees, affirm that male and female sex distinctions are a creational good that should be honored. Okay, finally, we come to a close with this point that our bodies are sacred and what we do with them matters. You might have heard the phrase, I think it's a well-meaning phrase, where someone might say, you're not a body, you're a soul, you have a body. That's not a Christian way to think. From how God created all of mankind to how he ordained for life to continue within the context of marriage and family life to how he creates every single one of us Think Psalm 139 to the reality of the Son of God coming in human flesh and offering that flesh up to God as an atoning sacrifice to the central fundamental moment of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead to his ascension and to the fact that Jesus is now in flesh, embodied, reigning at the right-hand side of the Father and the New Testament warnings about how we use our bodies in this in-between time to the reality of Jesus' coming soon, return, and the bodily resurrection that all of those who have fallen asleep in Christ will know, and the new life, embodied life, dear friends, that we will experience forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. In all of this, 
The Bible is emphatically clear that our bodies matter. How God knit you together. Your biological sex is of fundamental importance to who you are. Hear me. It's not the most ultimate aspect of who you are. Not at all. Scott is going to share next week a glorious list of ways that we should consider our identity as human beings and how that is most fundamentally rooted in the Lord Jesus, not in who we are or what our bodies are or do not look like or how they function, but, but they do matter. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 13 says, the body is meant for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. A few verses later, we're told, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our bodies matter to God. And this is why this is such a delicate and important topic. Because so many of us are devastated with various aspects of our bodies. How we might live with a certain disability that makes life very difficult for us or or a family member. How for some of us, our bodies have been abused. For some of us, how people have spoken about our bodies or looked at our bodies. How we feel uncomfortable in them. And that could be an intense feeling, as some have, that their gender does not align with their biological sex. Or it could just be a different kind of struggle that leads to profound sadness. How we can become fixated on our bodies, either in pride or in despair. How we can struggle with the way our bodies have been changed and impacted by injury or surgery, how we struggle to honor God with what we take into our bodies, and how we can feel shame in that, or shame because of what we have used our bodies for. When we think of these things, it reminds us that it is certainly not only those wrestling with trans questions who need the help of the Holy Spirit today. I suspect every single one of us has had some struggle, some heartache, some difficulty, some question about something to do with our body at some point in our lives. So I I want to just close by offering us a chance to come and pray to God that we might surrender our lives, including our bodies, before him, offering them to him that we would acknowledge God's role and how he formed us as we are and that we would all come with that desire to trust him, to honor him with how we live and think of and use our bodies this coming week. So I just invite you to just to bow your head and we're going to pray. Let me read some words from the end of Romans 11 into Romans 12. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments 
and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father God in heaven, you whose ways are unsearchable, you who we need to learn from, not try and teach to, you who, when we consider your infinite wisdom and glory and honor, we should come with hearts that would bow humbly, lowly before you. We pray, Father in heaven, that we might through your grace, through your help, that we might offer up to you our bodies as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship this week. Lord, I pray for any here in this room who are just devastated about their body, about a tension they feel between what they would wish for and what seems to be. Oh God, draw near. Come for us, we pray. Father, I pray for those who are full of shame regarding how they, or even especially, maybe perhaps others, have used and abused their body. Lord, we're not flippant about just throwing these things away in a little prayer. We know that there's a lifetime of care and love and wisdom that is needed to navigate these matters. But maybe as a starter or as an ongoing reality in that, I pray that by your Spirit, you would draw near and comfort and remind us whose we are, who we are in Jesus Christ. Give us your comfort and your help today, I pray. Lord, we pray for compassion and courage and care as we navigate this reality of all these questions and issues regarding gender that are swirling around in Scotland. Help us to honor you, we pray, and to love our neighbors well. And Lord, we do pray for this country that we're in. Lord, we do recognize not just in this, but certainly in this, how far is the message that is being lifted up as normative and good and right and pure and fun and acceptable, how far that is from what you call us to in our lives of discipleship, following after King Jesus. And Lord, we just pray for your mercy to be on us as your church for the ways that we've blown it 
as we've talked about these things, thought about these things, and we pray for your mercy to be upon this land. And we pray that you would turn hearts and minds, young and old, to the wonder of the truth and grace of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray these things in his awesome name.